Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. Let's, uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning. This is the seventh message in our 10-week summer sermon series on the church. And so far, we've considered the church's master, the church's makeup, the church's mission, the church's management, the church's message, the church's method, And this morning, we want to examine the church's ministry, specifically the church's ministry to itself. In other words, how are we to function within our local body of believers? What is our responsibility to one another within the church? Well, I think that we would all agree that we live in a what's-in-it-for-me society, Right? In fact, that seems to be the mantra of our day. What is in it for me? Not what's in it for the Lord or others, but what's in it for me? I don't need to tell you that most of what we are witnessing in the world today is antithetical to Scripture. In other words, we're not going to learn much about how we're to function within the local church from the world. And when we think of the church, we think in terms of the church gathered, like we are here today, and the church scattered as we leave here and go out into our communities. And throughout our series on the church, we've examined the purpose of the church scattered as it relates to the dissemination of the gospel to the world. Before Jesus ascended up into heaven, he left this profound responsibility to his disciples, which we call the Great Commission, to go out into all the world, sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the purpose of making disciples. And we, as the church scattered, are the Lord's ambassadors to the world. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 20, he said, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Just yesterday, Kathy and I were doing some things around the house, and uh, our doorbell rang, and she beat me to the door, and it was two... Uh, young ladies from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And Kathy met them at the door and said, uh, uh, we are Christians, uh, but we would love to talk to you. And then she called for me, and she said, would you like to talk to these ladies? And I said, the question isn't, would I like to talk to them The question is, would they like to talk to me? (laughs) And so we invited them into our home. They sat on our couch for over a half an hour, and I was able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, who is God, God incarnate, who came to the earth from the glories of heaven to come and to redeem those who would believe upon him. And we talked about a lot in those 30 minutes. But that's what we do, right? That's what we do as the church scattered. But this morning, we want to concentrate on the church gathered, specifically to examine God's design for you and me as we react to one another in the body of Christ. So this morning, we're going to examine three important responsibilities for those within the local body of Christ. So if you're taking notes, the first is the use of our spiritual gifts. Now, you you may know that there are three main passages in the Scriptures, especially in the New Testament, that speak to the issue of of spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Romans chapter 12 that we're going to look at here in a moment. Here in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, Paul lists seven particular spiritual gifts that we want to briefly highlight this morning as we consider God's intended role for each of us in the context of his church. But before we examine these seven spiritual gifts that Paul lays out here in verses 6 through 8, I want to consider the purpose of spiritual gifts. And this is really at the heart of what we want to look at this morning. Wayne Grudem, in his book on systematic theology, defines a spiritual gift as any ability 
that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Now, as we're going to see this morning, the Holy Spirit, according to His grace, sovereignly bestows at least one spiritual gift to every Christian so that they can use that gift or ability in the context of the local church. 1 Corinthians 12.11 says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. In other words, we don't get to pick our spiritual gift. It's sovereignly bestowed through the person of the Holy Spirit. Upon conversion, He gives us a spiritual gift so that we may use it within the body of of Christ. And so Peter shares the purpose of these special spiritually bestowed gifts in 1 Peter 4:10 as he said as each one has received a special gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so our role in the body is just the opposite of what the world's what's in it for me philosophy is. It's not what's in it for me It's what's in it for the Lord and others. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, when he said, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. In other words, God has given each member of the body of Christ a spiritual gift to use for the mutual edification for the church. Romans 14.9 says, So then, let us pursue what leads to peace and mutual edification. Ephesians 4.11 and 12 says, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, for the edification of the body of Christ. And so as we begin today, God has equipped each of us, each believer in Jesus Christ, to have some sort of a role in His church. Some of you might say, I really don't know what my spiritual gift is. And I've had a lot of people say that to me over the years. Pastor, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I would use it if I knew what it was, but I don't know what it is. And I think that's somewhat of a legitimate concern. But let me address that for a moment. If you've ever said that or thought that, let me just address that for a moment. There's a reason why God has not told us when Jesus will return. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. We believe in the imminent return of Christ. He could come at any moment. And perhaps the reason why he didn't tell us when he's going to return is because some of us wouldn't get serious about living for Christ until about a month before he was to return. And I think in the same way, when we think about spiritual gifts, perhaps the reason why God hasn't specifically told us what our spiritual gifts are is because we might have the tendency only to want to serve in whatever area that is, rather than in many areas of ministry. This is why I'm not personally a big fan of these man-developed spiritual gift assessments, because If God wanted us to know what our spiritual gift was, He would have told us. Instead, what are we to do? Instead, within the paradigm, within the the local church, the local assembly of believers, we are commanded to serve. We are to be active in serving and ministering to others. And so I tell people, just serve in the areas of your interest. And allow yourself to be stretched by serving in areas outside of your interest. But be active. Be active in ministry. Be active in serving one another. And as you are active in ministry, your giftedness will become more evident to you and the leadership of the church. I cannot tell you how many times this has happened where folks will jump in and they will serve in whatever capacity they're asked to serve in, and they are especially gifted in that area of service, and they really had no idea. They had an idea that they would like to serve, but as they got into it, they they saw that God is really working in them and through them. 
And so when that happens, we're able to see a person's giftedness. And as we continue to develop our gifts, the leadership should provide more opportunities for us to continue to serve. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, uh, verses 14 through 16, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation for both yourself and for those who hear you. So we want to turn our attention here this morning to Romans chapter 12. And as I said, we we find that Paul identifies seven particular spiritual gifts. And uh, these are certainly not all the gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament. Some have actually placed the number of named spiritual gifts as high as 20. But most likely there are some gifts that are essentially the same gift that's just lifted, listed under some different name in other passages. But there is such a diversity of gifts because the body of Christ is so diverse. And so as we look at these specific spiritual gifts, or grace gifts, as I call them, we cannot divorce verses 3 through 5 from verses 6 through 8. So let's begin with verse 3. Verse 3, Romans chapter 12. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allowed it, allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, see the grace given to us, so grace is mentioned twice here in this passage, and that's why I sometimes refer to the spiritual gifts as grace gifts. They're given to us by God. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or if he teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The goal, as we see here, the goal as we employ our gifts, the goal here is the edification of each other with unity as the backdrop. And so we're to humbly employ the spiritual gifts that we have been given by God. So here we find seven of them, at least seven particular spiritual gifts, and they're all listed here with important qualifiers. So notice here in verse 6, Paul mentions the gift of prophecy. Now, prophecy is direct revelation from God about the future that's to be passed along to others. He says, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. So most likely, this means that the revelations that come through the mouths of the prophet are to be consistent with the body of truth that's already been revealed. The Holy Spirit bestowed some temporary gifts for the purpose of authenticating the, the apostles and the prophet's message while they were used by God to lay the foundation for the church. So not every gift in the New Testament was intended to be a permanent gift. Some of them were intended to be temporary, to accomplish a certain purpose. And so we have to at least draw the line there that some of the gifts are not permanent gifts, they're temporary gifts. We see this here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So because the foundation of the church has been laid, there are no longer apostles and prophets. Why? Because their purpose has been fulfilled. Their purpose was served. And so those gifts faded away 
upon the completion of the written Word of God. So I think we ask the question, some may ask the question at least, is has the church been weakened? Is the church in some way lacking because there are no longer apostles and prophets? And I would say to that, no, it's really just the opposite. We have the completed Word of God in our possession that we considered last week is everything that we need for life and godliness. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Everything we need to know how to live our lives for the Lord has been given to us in His Word. We really drilled down on 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 last week, and it, that says that the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God is perfectly adequate, right? In other words, there's, there's no longer a need for any additional revelation. The gift of prophecy is mentioned here in Romans 12 because the canon of Scripture has not yet been completed. But that gift is no more. The second gift that he mentions is service. We see that in verse 7. Paul says, if service in his serving. If service in his serving. Those with the gift of service are literally to serve while they're serving. That's what that means, to serve while they're serving. We're all to serve one another, but the one with the gift of service is empowered, especially by the Spirit, to specialize in service or serving. And the one with the gift of service should serve in humility. And so I was thinking this week about our church and about how many of us are involved in some aspect of service within the body of Christ. And I thought, man, I'd really like to name names. I'd really like to go through and use people as an example. They wouldn't like that, that I use them as an example, but people would be able to see it better if I use names. And so I chose not to use names. But I'll describe situations so that you know who they are. (laughs) Every year we have an anniversary service we have an anniversary picnic and this year we're actually doing baptisms in conjunction with that do you know how much work it takes to host 250 people to your home i mean do you you have any idea how much effort it takes to get ready for that many people to come to your home and we have done this since the beginning of the church We've had various people in our church who have hosted the entire church at their home where they have had to get ready for a week or two weeks to get ready to to, to host this many people. And then after they host it, (laughs) then they have to clean up from the mess that we make. Can you even imagine how much service goes into something like that? And I could go down a long list of ways that people serve the body of Christ here at Grace Life. Some small, some big, but it's amazing. This is how you know if a church is healthy. Because we serve one another. We're a part of each other's lives. We're not just a place where we come to and we sit and we listen to a sermon or we sit and we listen to a Sunday school lesson, or we are a participant. No, we are an active part of the body of Christ, and and we are to serve one another. And so I was thinking about this this week. There's, and you know, you'll know what I mean when I say this. There's a good tired and a bad tired. You know what I mean? Sometimes I get worn out, but it's not with good stuff. Sometimes I'm mentally spent, I'm worn out, but it's not because uh, of ministry or serving or whatever, it's because of other things. And I think we all kind of get that. We all kind of understand that. Can you imagine those who would host such an event or who would um, serve uh, during vacation Bible school? That's, That's a week. Vacation Bible school is a Monday through Friday, three our a day ministry opportunity to children in our church and in our community. But you know how when they start working on VBS, like as soon as it's over, 
they start working for the next one. I don't know about you, but there's a good tired and there's a bad tired. So oftentimes when I am preaching, you know that I try to put my all into what I'm sharing from God's Word. I want to teach the whole counsel of God. I want to give it to you, and I want to do it with passion. I want to do it with accuracy. I want to do it with boldness. I work all week long to come and to share from God's Word. And so Sunday afternoons for me is that good tired. It's that, it's that, I can breathe. And then Monday morning, it all starts again. But you understand what I mean, right? When we serve one another, look, I'll take that all day long. Good tired is great tired. And if we're serving one another in the body of Christ, that's good. That's great. And it's worth it because this is what God wants us to do. And let me just encourage all of us to be encouragers, appreciators of those who are serving. We have people that serve in so many aspects of ministry in our church. Let them know how much you appreciate them. One of the neat things is that uh, the VBS teachers oftentimes will get a little card from the students. Their parents obviously put those together for them, but it's just a way to show the appreciation for the teachers that put all that time and energy and effort into VBS. And so you understand what I what I mean. Literally, what, what Paul is communicating here in verse 7 as it relates to this gift of service is that we are to serve while we're serving. There's an assumption that all of us want to be involved in some aspect of service within the body of Christ. Number three, the third spiritual gift, teaching. We see that here in verse 7 as well. Paul says, he who teaches in his teaching. And so those who are gifted in teaching should seek opportunities to humbly teach, but just as Timothy was instructed, they are to work hard at teaching. They're to work hard at teaching. And I know how hard some of you work when you're given the opportunity to teach. My dear wife would tell you that she doesn't have the gift of teaching, but she still teaches. And if she's teaching women she will put 30, 40 hours into one lesson, which means that I am also involved because she would never teach without showing me and asking me, is this right? Is this accurate? I want to make sure I'm communicating this. So there's a good tired and a bad tired, but we are to work at teaching if we are gifted in that way. Number four exhortation. The fourth spiritual gift is exhortation. We see this in verse 8. Paul says, he who exhorts in his exhortation. And and exhortation can mean a lot of things, by the way. It can mean instruct or comfort or confront or encourage, but it's closely connected to teaching with perhaps a nuance or two. John Murray, who I quoted last week, He helped to found Westminster Seminary. He said it this way, As teaching is directed to the understanding, so is exhortation to the heart, conscience, and will. So in other words, those with the gift of exhortation are to humbly exhort. Number five, the fifth spiritual gift that Paul lists here in verse eight, Paul says, he who gives with liberality. He's talking about giving here. You know that there are people that are gifted as givers? And it has nothing to do with how much they have. It has to do with Holy Spirit empowerment and their desire to give. The word liberality means with simple generosity. There's a humble, no-strings-attached giving that meets needs. And all of us should be giving, but some of us have a special gift to serve. Number six, the sixth spiritual gift that he lists is leading. This is in verse eight. Paul says, he who leads with diligence. So the phrase with diligence means active leadership. So pastors and elders who have this gift are to humbly and effectively lead the flock of God. So while this is a spiritual gift, 
it still requires a lot of work, a lot of effort to lead. And then number seven here, the last one that he gives here is in verse eight, and it's mercy. Mercy, the spiritual gift of mercy. Paul says, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. It's amazing to me uh, and easy to identify those who have the gift of mercy. They see things differently than we do. They just see things differently. They have this, this, this inherent compassion for other people. And I think that we are all compassionate to a degree, but these are, empo- these are people that are empowered by the Spirit of God to be compassionate. And they do this with cheer and with, with gladness. So the emphasis of Scripture is not to be looking for your gift like a needle in the haystack and remaining dormant until you find it, but to be active in ministry, active in humbly serving others. So let me just say this. We all need to be serving in some way, shape, or form in the body of Christ. Sometimes we need help with that. We need help with how to do that. In what area is there a need? And we have had over the years what we call ministry fairs where all of our ministries set up a table and we share these needs within the body. Well, we do that maybe once a year, maybe once every other year. But if you would like to get plugged into ministry and you'd like to serve within the body, then just seek out one of our our elders. We'd be glad to help you. Even one of our deacons, we'd be glad to help to point you in the right direction so that you can get involved in service. But we're all to be actively and humbly serving others. Why? Because as Paul says here in verse 5, we are individually members one of another. And this, I believe, is how the Lord wants us to view church membership. So, if you have a bulletin, if you would, in your bulletin is uh, our church membership covenant. If you would pull that out. The second responsibility here, as it relates to believers and the local church, is spiritual membership. First, the use of our spiritual gifts. Second, being a part of the local church, spiritual membership. Every believer in Jesus Christ is to be fully committed to a local church under the accountability of the elders of the church and invested in the lives of the other members. Sadly, today, what we see as it relates to church membership is is often viewed as more of a club membership than God's design for His people to be an integral part of a local church. It's kind of like the old American Express ad, if you remember that ad, membership has its privileges, right? But the biblical view is not membership has its privileges, but membership has its responsibilities. And so in your bulletins is our Grace Life Church membership covenant. And so I want to read the intro to this, and you can uh, have this and, um, and can look through the rest of it on your own. But this is what God's Word has to say about our responsibility within the local church. Here's the opening paragraph that leads us into our responsibilities. As committed followers of Jesus Christ who have through faith been justified by God's grace and who regularly gather together in community at Grace Life Church, we covenant together under the authority of the Word of God and the headship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and together we make the following declarations. And this is basically much of what we are going to be looking at today. All of these things are ways that we are to strive to be the kind of member of the local church that God would have us to be. And let me just say this, because we do church membership here differently than some churches do. And there's not a lot of instruction in the New Testament about church membership. But we take very seriously our role within the body of Christ. We don't have a sign on the dotted line church membership form. 
at Grace Life Church because we don't see it in the New Testament. But what we do see is that we are, verse 5 of Romans 12, we are to be members of one another. What does that mean? As those who have trusted in Christ as our Savior, we are to be actively a part of the body of Christ as members one of another. And that, I believe, is the heart of what is spoken of here as it relates to church membership. Believers in Jesus Christ who gather together in a local assembly under the headship of Christ and under the leadership of the elders of the church, we are members one of another. So that brings us then to the third responsibility within the local body of Christ, and it is spiritual interaction. Spiritual interaction. And really, this is at the heart. This is kind of the practical part of how we do church. Spiritual interaction within the local body of Christ. The New Testament writers repeatedly instruct believers to do certain things so that the body of Christ can effectively function and we can all grow spiritually, right? These are actually, I call the one another's of the New Testament. There's at least 12 of them. There's at least 12 one another's in the New Testament. And that phrase, one another, comes from a unique Greek word, which is alalon, which is usually translated as one another in the New Testament that we have before us. In excluding the Gospels, the word is used 58 times in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul uses this word 40 times. He's trying to communicate something to us. He's trying to say that we are to go through life together one with another. And with, when all of the one another exhortations are grouped together according to their meanings, there are at least 12 significant actions that Christians are to take toward one another to help to build up the body of Christ. And we notice here as we go through these, and I'm going to go through these rather quickly, but the emphasis is on others and not ourselves. It's not what's in it for me. It's what's in it for the Lord and what's in it for others. And the first one I just mentioned uh, is that we are members of one another. Verse 5, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This is different than being a member of an organization. It's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is we are members one of another. You see, it's the interlocking of the fingers. We are inextricably linked together in the body of Christ. We are members one of another. So when I see you on a Sunday morning, I think we are members of one another. Not just members of an organization, but we are members of each other. Huge difference. And I think this is what makes the difference in how we do membership at Grace Life Church. Look, we just went through uh, what our covenant would be to one another within the body of Christ. We take church membership very seriously here at the church. But it's different. You see the difference in, in why we do it the way we do. It's not that we are members of an organization, but we are members one of another. Over here, membership has its privileges. Over here, membership has its responsibilities. And so we want to stay as close to Scripture as we possibly can, and this is how we view church membership. We are members one of another. As, as members of one another, we make up the body of Christ, this local body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 26, Paul uses the word body 13 times. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. All of us are a part of the body of Christ. We may not all have the same gifts. We may not all have the same roles within the body, but we are members one of another. No one is more important 
than the other. We are members of one another. Number two, we're devoted to one another. This is Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, where Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And so we know brotherly love, this is the Greek word Philadelphia. It's Philadelphia love. It's the love that should exist between brothers and sisters within a family. And so we are the body of Christ, a family, a people. We are members one of another. We're devoted to one another. This can be translated showing loving affection or loving tenderly. 1 Peter 4.8 says that uh, we're to have a fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. That's a quote from Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. Let me just say something about that. Love covers a multitude of sins. We don't have... We, we have a medium-sized church. We have well over 300 people that are an active part of Grace Life Church. We need to have Philadelphia love for one another. It, it's the love that you have with your siblings. Do you always agree with your siblings? No. But love transcends all that, right? There are brothers. There are sisters. We will find a way to work it out. This is what is vital within a biological family and even more vital within the church family. Number three, we're to honor one another. Again, chapter 12, verse 10, honor one another above yourselves. Above yourselves. And of course, the example is Christ, right? Philippians 2, 3, and 4 talks about that we're to put others above ourselves. So love covers a multitude of sins. You don't have to be passionate about every little thing that you don't think goes your way or you don't think is being done a way that, that you think that you would do it, right? I mean, if, if I, I have a unique role within the body and I have a particular personality and a particular way that I like to have things done, but if I was constantly consumed with that's not how I would do it, it would suck all the joy out of it for me to watch other people use their gifts, and it would suck all the joy out of it for other people who are trying the best they can to use their gifts within the body. So we're to have this Philadelphia love. Love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't have to be the way that you want it to be, and it doesn't always have to be the way that I want it to be. So we're to be devoted to one another, we're to honor one another, and number four, we're to be of the same mind with one another. Romans 15 and verse 5, referring to unity here, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. He's talking about unity and purpose, unity and practice, unity and doctrine. We must be unified within the body of Christ because we're not here to accomplish our own purposes but the, but the purposes of the Lord. So we need to be unified as we do that. Number five, uh, to accept one another. This is Romans 15 and verse 7. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to, be, to bring praise to God. We're to accept one another in the same way that Christ accepted us. How did he accept us? Do I need to remind us that we are simply sinners saved by grace? We are nothing except that God saved us from our sin. We have a right relationship with God, not because of something that we did, but because of his grace to us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast about it. Our standing before God is because of Him and His grace, His sovereignly bestowed grace. We're to be unified. We are to accept one another. So acceptance in the body of Christ should be automatic. Prejudice, favoritism, and discrimination in the body of Christ violates the law of God. We are all one. He's speaking here about unity amid diversity. 
We are to be accepting in the body of Christ. This is a place where we can come and actually be ourselves. Now, if we fall into sin and we're in unrepentant sin, then because we're members of one another, then we need to talk to one another about this and confront one another on this because this is not how we're to be. We're not to be in unrepentant sin. We're to see sin for the way that it is and we're to repent of it. But we are still sinners. We've been saved by the grace of God, but we're still sinners, right? We still unfortunately, sin. We've not yet been glorified. That's yet future. When we get to heaven and we stand before the Lord, we will be glorified. Our bodies will be matched up with our souls. We will have a glorified body in heaven. Sin will be no more. We won't have sickness. We won't have disease. We won't have illness. We won't have problems with our spouse or with our kids or with our friends, or with our neighbors, or with our co-workers. That is yet future. We still struggle with sin. And so we're to confess our sin. And He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So yes, we are, because we're members of one another, we are to call one another out on our sin. But, apart from that, this should be the most welcoming place in the world. We are to accept one another in the same way that Christ accepted us. Number six, we're to admonish one another. This is Romans 15 and verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. This is the Greek word nutheteo. It's where nuthetic counseling came from, biblical counseling. It, it's not really talking about casual communication or normal type teaching. It, it implies a definite exhortation or a correction and warning. And we learned of this when we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, right? That the Bible is inspired by God, but it's profitable for correcting us, admonishing us. Why? Because we need it. We need it. We need correction. Even psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Paul says in Colossians 3.16, can be used for admonishing us. When you sing on a Sunday morning, do you, do you follow the words? Are you listening closely to the words? Are you, are you reading them as you sing them? One of the things that I can fall into a trap, and I, I don't know how in the world I remember all the songs from when I was growing up. You ever turn on the radio, like the era that you grew up, and there's songs on there, and you know all the words. Like you can just sing them. You haven't thought of that song in months and months, maybe even years, and all of a sudden you can start singing it. We did that the other day. Kathy turned on the radio, and um, it was songs from the 80s. Oh, my goodness. It didn't sound good, but I knew all the words. I was singing them out. Even songs can admonish us. And that's why one of the reasons why we sing and why we put the words up on the screen. And oftentimes we'll do that even in a special music or a special number when somebody's singing because we want to drill in, we want to concentrate on the words because we can be admonished by that. Number seven, greet one another. <laughs> and and it, I think we do this well at our church. I think we greet one another well. It says in uh, Romans chapter 16 uh, to greet one another with a holy kiss. We don't do that but we'll shake your hand. We'll give you a hug, side hug. We'll welcome you here. We'll greet you. But sincerity, the sincerity of the greeting is key. And we are all, hopefully, welcome here. At, I mean, I, I can't imagine someone coming to our church and not feeling welcome because I know that's the heart of our people. Number eight, to serve one another. This is Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful desire. Rather, serve one another in love. So the emphasis there is on serving, to serve one another in love. Literally means to be slaves or servants to each other. 
in the model of Christ, right? Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 1 Peter 4, 9 says that we are to be hospitable to one another. That literally means to love strangers. And it meant to open one's home to serve travelers and strangers. Number nine, to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2 And the context there, by the way, is sin. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Again, the context is sin. Galatians 6.1 talks about the responsibility of the spiritual Christian, one that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit that that Paul expounds upon in Galatians chapter 5, to restore a brother who is trapped in sin. The word bear there is bastazo in the Greek. It means to come alongside and help to carry their burden of sin for the purpose of restoring them back to a right relationship with God and others. And then number 10, we are bearing with one another. We're to bear with one another. This is Ephesians 4.2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now this is different He's talking in Galatians 6 and verse 2 about bearing one another's burdens. When a brother's in sin, we help to guide them and encourage them to turn from their sin. We literally help to carry the burden of their sin. But this is different. This is bearing with one another. This is like the practical part of how we can do this, how we can be members of one another within the body of Christ. It's talking about a tolerance for one another. And that sounds bad, doesn't it? How are you and your wife getting along? I tolerate her. How are you and your kids getting along? We tolerate them. I don't think that's at the heart of what he is saying here. But we're to have this this love that covers a multitude of sins, this tolerance to bear with our differences. If you haven't figured it out, when you get a group of people together, all the people are different. They're all different. Even within our family, our three kids, they're all different. They, they have different things that they're good at, different things that they like. They have different demeanors. It's really interesting. If you have multiple children, isn't it interesting? They're not all cookie cutter. They're different. All of them are different. And it's the same way in the body of Christ. Some of us are different. We're different. We're all different in some way. And so we're to patiently endure with that. The differences that we have. To have a forgiving spirit towards others. And so the idea with bearing with one another is to be patient or long-suffering with each other's weaknesses. We all got them. We all got them. Number 11, to submit to one another. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when we hear the word submission, we think of other things, right? We think of um, citizens are to submit to the governing authorities, that wives are to submit to their husbands, that employees are to submit to their employers, and so on and so forth. But the Scriptures talk about us within the body of Christ as members one of another to submit to one another. In other words, you don't always have to get your way. We can submit or defer to others. It it means to yield to one another's admonition and advice. And it's all for one basic purpose, which is out of reverence for Christ, obedience to Christ. And then number 12, and we'll finish with this. We are to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. So the, the word here is parakaleo, and it's used several times in the New Testament. It means to exhort or to admonish or teach, but it also can mean to console or to encourage and to comfort. And I think that's what he's referring to here in 1 Thessalonians 5, to comfort one another, to encourage one another, to console one another all with the primary purpose of building one another up in the faith. This is all, all these one another's are for the purpose of building one another up in the body of Christ, to edify one another, 
So the emphasis is always on others, on their spiritual well-being. It's God's plan that we all edify one another. And if we're doing that, and if we're focusing on others, then we have the proper focus within the body of Christ. So in summary, here's how God did it. He says, when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will indwell that person. And with that indwelling comes a spiritual gift for them to be able to use in a local body of believers. So we're all gifted. If you know Christ as your Savior, we've all been given at least one gift, some maybe more, but we've all been given at least one gift to be used in the body of Christ. And so how does that fit with all of these one another's? You see how it all comes together. This is why we take the position at Grace Life Church that it's not like being a member of an organization. Which church are you a member of? No, it's not that as much as it is this. We are members of one another here as believers in Jesus Christ and those who want to please Him. So we need to encourage one another. We're not going to get it from the world. And I'm shocked. And I'm usually not too shocked. But I'm shocked at how fast all of this is going. The lunacy and the craziness of all of the stuff we're seeing. We need each other. We need the body of Christ. We need to be who God has made us to be within the body. I am so thankful for our church. I'm so grateful. I brag in a good way on you all the time. To my fellow pastors, we don't have a perfect church because none of us are perfect. But we are made up of those who want to honor the Lord. And I'm so thankful for each of you. For your ministry in my life, your ministry in each other's lives, it's so evident to see. So thank you. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you that we can be a part of your body, that we can use the gifts that you've given to us for your Uh, glory and for the edification of others help us to really drill down and to think about that more how can we use the gifts that you've given to us to serve the body of christ here at grace life thank you for bringing us together thank you that we get to run the race of the christian life together thank you for each and every one uh, who is a part of our church and lord if there are some that are struggling with how they can use their gift or even to know what it is that we would work together to try to help them to be able to serve in the way that you would want them to serve. So we thank you most of all for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who brings us all together. We thank you that you have named us as a Christian, literally uh, one who follows after Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray this morning. Amen.